glad that you're able to join us, Wendy, Wendy mm. Muse of the Left POC podcast, to have this conversation because Richard has been trying to get me to talk about Venezuela uh, for the past <laughs> few weeks. And Basically. I'm a responsible adult sometimes. And I was like, I'm not talking about the global South, you no know, Venezuela and relationship with the rest of the world, both in terms of Latin America and North America, without having somebody who has some kind of fluency in that area. Mm. And so, of course, he suggested you. And so I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a great idea. You know, it's a great idea. Hopefully, it pans out for us. We we're going to have to find out. Uh, <laughs> but before I, we get to Vin- it's all, no, no, go ahead, Richard. I, I was just going to apologize to Wendy, but go ahead, continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to be on my best behavior. I just wanted to say before we get started with the you know the Venezuela conversation, it's been a weird week, both for me personally and I guess for the rest of the Black community, the people of color community, uh, insofar that is one community, in just the amount of blackface that has come out in in, in the state of Virginia, right? I, I don't know what it is uh, <laughs> about living in Virginia that makes people want to cover their face in coal and put on a little minstrel show. But I swear to God, it's, it, we're up to three people now, right? Where yeah. it's the it's the governor, the attorney general, and then a random Republican senator who have all been outed as doing blackface in their yearbook like like i don't even yeah i was gonna say i, I don't like, know it's just three elected officials i mean the yearbooks turn out to be full of it and like and even worse stuff but go on <laughs> no i mean that, that's that's pretty much i guess that's pretty much fucking it right like we have three officials in virginia i will say that i'm i learned that law school i'm sorry that medical schools have yearbooks you know yeah apparently. i didn't know that yeah that, that, was, seems, that seems a little seems a little old for that but you know whatever i guess we wouldn't know if they didn't so, <laughs> it, it, so, it, so thanks i guess <laughs> I, i'm sure he's not saying thanks and so i, I guess like, you know we, we can start with that so what do you think about the the blackface debacle 2019 uh miss muse i mean so as a former resident of virginia i'm not from virginia but i used to live in new york and then i lived briefly in virginia um and it was fine while i was living there i had no idea that my elected or the elected officials that were supposedly legislating in my name were into blackface um so it was surprising in that sense but not surprising just because like obviously people who are racist are going to be racist and do stuff like that wherever. I just think that some people are better at hiding it than others. Um, And the other thing I would say that this is actually a nice segue for later, but there's a slight blackface blackface issue uh, in Latin America, particularly as it relates to Venezuela too. So we can talk about that later, but yeah, it's a worldwide real problem, fortunately. Yeah. I just say that Wendy is being, uh, you know, too humble. Uh, (laughs) We actually have the, the new interim governor of Virginia, Virginia with us and I don't know if anybody saw that oh but. yeah <laughs> I forgot I'm governor of Virginia now guys sorry yes I, I have formally endorsed uh, endorsed and recognized her as as governor and I, I'm I don't know if the governor has handed over the the Twitter login yet uh, yeah. but that was part of you know what I thought would be a good step towards recognizing your authority but as, as far as the blackface uh yeah just horrible go ahead brandon and i, I can't be governor of virginia i, I have there are actual there are actual <laughs> photos of me there's photos and, vis- and video evidence of me in, in white face from from high school like, I, it's, it's, it's amazing i will say you know it's amazing the things that you forget from your past so i, I, can, I can be a little bit sympathetic i guess towards the attorney well towards the governor i can't be sympathetic towards the attorney general because as soon as it came out that the governor had been in blackface the attorney general was like oh of course he should resign of course only for it to go him to go actually <laughs> i um i i just remembered that about 30 years ago no 30 40 years ago i was at a party and you know basically no good stories start with when i was at a party uh but i was at a party and it was a, a halloween party and i came dressed up as my favorite rapper of the time Curtis Blow. And for those of you who do not know, <laughs> Curtis Blow, a Negro. And so I thought, you know, what would make this costume more authentic? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of authenticity, blackface. And so, you know, you might eventually uncover photos of me in blackface dressed as Curtis Blow, uh, perhaps video. <laughs> 
of me, you know, Super 8 video of me performing the breaks. Uh, <laughs> and I would feel like a hypocrite if I didn't admit that now. He should have to resign. That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just the, uh, that's bullshit. Uh, don't like, you can't come out as like, you know, the black face, the black face, def- I mean, the black face, um, chastiser only from like oh actually no uh <laughs> it turns out it was a lot more popular than, than you, know I, you what remember it was you know in, in like the i was actually much younger you know i was i was only 19 so like that's enough to go to prison <laughs> <laughs> i mean i will say so i was a mime i was a mime in high school that's why i was in white face but i will or was i the crow i don't remember it was a long time ago <laughs> I did green face in high school at, playing Yoda, so I don't know if that counts as anything. <laughs> it does, and you're, fuck, you're fucking canceled. You're canceled, Richard. You're, can, you're, you're canceled for that. Now I uh, feel like I'm missing out because I don't have any colored faces. That video uh, is actually really embarrassing on. if anybody ever finds that. that. <laughs> you don't have any colored face past that you're willing to admit no. to right now, but I'm sure <laughs> we're going to go through your yearbook and find out. No, but I guess. You know, I guess what strikes me before we move on, I will say this, is that like both in the case of Northam and in the case of his AG, who I'm forgetting the name of, uh, you know, they were in blackface ostensibly because they were dressing up as people who they were fans of or admired. It, you know, Curtis Blow in the okay, Curtis Blow in the case of the AG. You know, Curtis Blow is popular. I can't, I can't fucking say he wasn't popular. Curtis Blow in the case of the AG and Michael Jackson in the case of the you know the governor had he waited a few years it wouldn't be a problem but you know that's a different story um uh but and so like it i don't want to say it was it was out of malice right because like obviously mm-hmm. the, the the minstrel shows of the early 20th century were a lot more malicious but it's just it's, it's fascinating that like they would do blackface in order to better i don't know better support or show faith like show that they're fans of a particular you know i would say what like a black a black star and, and also just- wait a second wait a second wait a second you're also taking northam at at his word though i mean that's <laughs> the thing that you have to remember like in the picture that was that surfaced he's posing with or because he still doesn't we don't know which one it is he's posing next to someone dressed as a clansman so like I'm sorry, but the, the, no, like it's clear there's something going on here. It's not that he's posing as Michael Jackson. He doesn't well, look like Michael him, Jackson in that picture. In, he's not in that photo that's on right. his yearbook page, and he just right. now figured that this was a good time to, to realize that. Continue, Brandon. This, it had a lot of moving parts. I will admit that. So, like the initial story was there is a, I so I guess for those who don't know the full the full saga of Northam's blackface adventures. Um, <laughs> Um, like the initial story was like there's a photo that emerged from Northam's time at University of Virginia Medical School. There's a picture of two people, one in blackface and one in a clan outfit. And I guess they're at a Halloween party or some sort of costume party. Uh, initially, someone was like, OK, Northam is in this photo. He's the guy in blackface. So right. We're going to stop right there. Um, being in blackface is bad enough, but being in blackface you know, ostensibly for whatever reason you might be in blackface uh, to be racist, I guess. And then posing with somebody who is also in a clan outfit. Where do you, where do you even get a clan outfit? If you're not actually in the clan is a whole, is another, another question, <laughs> right? Like, I don't think they just sell clan outfits at, your, at, the, at the local Halloween shop, even in Virginia, even in the eighties, you have to make that shit by hand. That's a lot of effort to put into a Halloween costume. Uh, so Northam came out and was just like, okay, I don't remember which one of these people I am in the photo. Obviously, it's worse to be one than the other, but they're both bad. <laughs> then he came out later and was like, I'm actually not in this photo, but on a separate occasion, I was in blackface to be Michael Jackson. So that's what I'm referring to. Very convoluted story to j- just to end up at the place where we start, that you were in blackface, to be perfectly honest. And whether or not it's better or worse, is uh debatable i guess but it's you shouldn't be in blackface mm-hmm. well right. you, you were talking earlier and one of the things that came to my mind was uh obama campaigned for northam and there was a lot of back and forth about whether bernie was going to endorse northam and whether the people that supported bernie were going to back northam and all that and i'm sure people have seen enough of that on twitter uh but i was convinced just like at the press conference when some reporter had the genius absolutely genius this person deserves a promotion 
idea to ask the uh, the governor if he could still moonwalk. And the governor looked around as if to find space to moonwalk. <laughs> I'm convinced that when Obama went there, that that he went like he would he tried to moonwalk to relate to moon to relate to Obama. And I think that that relates to the like white hubris that we're also going to talk about. Wait, later wait, 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 wait. This Venezuela. is from then and not. I thought that was recently when. When he was no, asked he, by a person. Oh, yeah. No, he, he, go ahead. He was asked recently about yeah. the moon, about the Michael Jackson, because like that that's part of the second the second blackface incident. God, right. It's like, oh, this is like a fucking trilogy. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> but no. Um, and so like he was I, I this controversial opinion. Uh, he should have he should have moonwalked. Absolutely, that would have been. His wife stopped him, though. Yeah, I mean, typical, but like she should have done it because that (laughs) because that would have you know that would have at least supported his version of events. uh, (laughs) That he was that he was a big he was a big MJ fan. Well, at least he didn't dress up like Ike Turner or some shit. Like he dressed up like Michael Jackson. He was a big MJ fan. I mean, it would sell the fandom. I mean, I'll I'll give you that. Go ahead. Imagine if he had had nailed it. Imagine if he had just fucking like blew the moonwalk out of the water on stage. You can't possibly be racist if you can moonwalk. Walk. That's just that's just my opinion. <laughs> oh, although actually, I, you know, I'm gonna get your idea, but I have another controversial opinion. Um, like right now, his sort of he he got some sort of race advisor. He's he had he had his black priest or a black pastor pray over him and his family. Uh, you know, right now, but and he's like he's gonna read the roots and also some Tana Hasey Coates selected essays to prove that you know to expand his mind on race. But I will say this, you know. I am more on the fence about him resigning uh, than I am about his lieutenant governor resigning, who has been accused of of rape. That one for me is a lot more, you know, uh, open and shut. Uh, insofar as this one is also, te- you know, the, the northern thing is terrible too. But like the lieutenant governor coming out as like an abuser is much more like, oh, he should definitely resign. In respect, like there's nothing, there's not so much more I want to hear about that. And with, with two accusers at this point, by the way, not just one, but two cases of rape, um, two women have come forward alleging that he raped them. Uh, and, and recently, too, not like, you know, 30 years ago, but within the within the 2000s. So we're talking, very, you know, within the past few years, which is even more upsetting, I think. And I've only had a cursory glance over them, but from what I gathered that they were very credible and that it also draws a bit of question on like him leaning on the Washington Post uh, mm-hmm. to defend himself and like them apparently turning them away at first. So I, again, I haven't done, I haven't looked into it too much. Both of you sound like you've read more than I have, uh, but that angle particularly uh, I found disturbing. Well, I mean, I definitely agree. My only initial point about the whole, like him dressing up as Michael Jackson and also uh, the AG dressing up at Curtis Blow, with a, it just made me think perhaps, you know, unfairly, maybe this is me mining for depth for like where there really is where there's only blackface where there's only coal I suppose <laughs> um, uh, where it's like it's amazing how like you can benefit off off of blackness per se with you know at least for like sort of I don't know negotiating cultural and social capital in certain events or certain like spaces uh, as long as you maintain a certain amount of distance from actually being black right whether that distance is like performative or like you just you just aren't black and the only reason I was thinking about that was because of that terrible new article in the root where about when it was Uh-oh. like is nancy pelosi uh the speaker of the house or a congressional gangster and then i had then i went to like a fugue state and like my <laughs> eyes just and I, I woke up like i don't know a few hours later <laughs> but when i when brandon showed me this art the like the, the picture from the article it instantly like made me want to start a new nation like that was my initial reaction just from the headline <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty bad. The other thing, too, really quickly that I just wanted to add about uh, Northam and Fairfax is Mm. blackface aside, um, pretend that the blackface incident didn't even happen or incidents, plural. There are multiple. um, (laughs) One of the things things that I think is important to sort of further contextualize this and think about. Perhaps, you know, why Northam should resign, or at least there are signs that like Northam has been racist in practice as well as his reluctance mm. to place Fairfax on the campaign material when he was running. Um, and I think that that and some other moves that have sort of come out about his behavior with black constituents, his behavior with, um, you know, black staffers and obviously Justin Fairfax. I think those things are important to kind of keep in mind in the background, because even though the, the blackface is one thing and the multiple blackface 
police incidents are one thing. Um, I think if we talk about action and potentially how his racist ideas influence the way he legislates and the way he governs, that's when we have an important conversation. And I think even more important than just the the words and images issue, but also action, you know? To, what, no, no. Or to Wendy's point, I just wanted to add uh, uh, environmental racism was a big component of uh, Northam's pro- like the problems with Northam and uh, as she mentioned uh, with black constituents and basically there's a board that had some objectors to putting basically a large pollutant in a black community and uh, they just got rid of those board members and decided they're going to plop it down in that community anyway you know residents be damned and essentially it all like the blackface basically is just the most blatant form that confirms for anybody had any lingering suspicions that the you know the disregard for the the health and livelihood of uh, black communities uh, was not just you know uh, just a part of his support for coal or for just dirty energy in general, but was actually just part of a larger lifelong disregard for black lives. No, no, I agree. Actually, I think that's a really important point, and I'm glad you made it because I, th- I think it's really easy to get sort of uh, fo- to focus a lot on the blackface as just like you know it's the most visible form of racism in this particular conversation about Northam, right? You know, it, like it's the canary in the coal mine, if you don't mind me again making a lot of blackface jokes. And I think it's very easy, especially like you know in our society when we're talking about racism, to focus on like the symbolic, right? Like he's in blackface, he says the n word, uh, you know he. Uh, he doesn't like rap music or whatever. I don't know what the fuck, what the fuck do people use when they're trying to pretend like they're not racist. Anyway, but um, but like really, the underlying issue here is the structural race. Like how 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 is he legislating in a way that actually reveals that the blackface is simply a a symptom of a larger mindset, which is he which he is sort of perf- which is sort of profuses his policies, right? I think I think it's very easy to point to the blackface and also say okay well we're going to replace northam with another candidate who doesn't do blackface but has the exact same racist policies uh and then we're going to we're going to claim that that's that's a victim that's a victory for like anti-racism within our party or within the state of virginia without actually looking at okay well what does you know like what does race like what's the breadth of racism here like what like what like how how is the you know the blackface only i don't know indicative of a larger problems like structural material social issues that are happening in virginia where apparently it's like blackface is just you know more or less acceptable no it's not but just <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean exactly right that's that's like that's, 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 that's the weirdest thing like yeah. i've seen a few people go like oh well you know it was the past like it's like not that far in the past no like, it was it was about like 40 years ago it was blackface wasn't okay 40 years ago i'm sorry i'm, I'm sorry to to burst your bubble <laughs> it wasn't okay <laughs> Go ahead, Wendy. No, no, I was just saying, right, like, at least not in the United States. It has not been socially acceptable for some time, and that definitely includes within my lifetime. Um, And so, yeah, people are just falling all over themselves to excuse blatantly racist acts, which is, like, making me feel old, actually, because it's like, I remember a time when we would just call this racist and it would be done, but apparently not. (laughs) I mean, you have, like, a little window when, you know, you could do stuff, like, you could call stuff out like that, but, that you know, Trump's president now, so that that window's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? Along with, like, racism not being, like, now being, like, the individualistic versus the structural and systemic, it's now, like, a comparative. It's like, okay, well, if I can point to somebody who's doing, like, more racist things, then the thing that I'm doing is by, you know, by nature, like, is by necessity not racist. You know, that... you know that coupled with the whole like democratic party's platform of like we're the not racist party makes it very easy to kind of i don't know do a little bit of ledger domain about like okay well what is racist like is this was it okay back then or was it like you know it, it's it's like it's the old uh slave owners in the past argument it's like well it was okay it's like well actually no there were actually people critiquing slavery back when it was happening <laughs> real so time, it, man. it was right. it, it was never okay but definitely you know i mean i guess you could say slavery in the 1980s that happened but you know then we have to have like the Curry Clinton conversation again. Not to get, <laughs> I guess, a little bit muddy. 
But no, you know, actually, let's uh, let, let's just transition right into, you know, perhaps a little bit clumsily, right into Venezuela. I know you don't have too much time, Wendy, and I want to actually get your thoughts uh, about, like, you know, both the, you know, the underlying causes of what's happening and also just, like, the responses that you've seen and how they make you upset. I assume upset. <laughs> because, 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 I mean, I'm not an expert of Venezuela, but even the responses that I've seen from people, like, online give me, like, indigestion. Yeah. So I'm assuming that somebody who is at least, you know, has sort of tertiary, ex- you know, experience with the, the global south and latin america and also we know that bolsonaro is, is basically supporting the coup like you know you know you probably have a lot more coherent thoughts about it than i do yeah i mean so first of all i just have to say that um i'm not an expert on venezuela but i've done research obviously in brazil for a very long time um and my phd is on brazil i've lived in brazil i follow brazil like it's my my own country even though it's not um but because i spend so much time there i have to stay abreast of what's going on and that of course includes understanding what's going on in neighboring neighboring countries in brazil um and how brazilian legislative officials such as now president jair bolsonaro how they are looking at the rest of the region and their neighboring countries. Um, and just this this actually isn't quite that awkward of a transition because as I was saying earlier, um, there's uh, I kept having to qualify our statements about blackface with regard to the United States, how it's not acceptable in the United States uh, because in Brazil to, the, to this day, you still see blackface on TV. Um, and it's often to obviously make fun of poor black people, often poor black women. Um, but one of the things that's interesting that had come come up uh, with regard to Hugo Chavez, who was the former president of Venezuela, when he was running for office and while he was in office still, there were often depictions of him uh, in comic strips and, you know, like um, televised commercials and things making fun of him because of his um, easily identifiable black features. Uh, as you, as many of you all may know, Venezuela was a huge slave, rec- slave receiving state. Um, they had slavery, they had a large indigenous population. And so, um, you know, Hugo Chavez often talked about this, especially towards the end of his administration, um, shortly before his death. He talked quite a bit about his black heritage um, to sort of create a a connection with um, Afro-Venezuelans, many of whom were voting for the left already and who kind of put him into office um, and kept him there. So I think it's very important for us to recognize, too, that blackface is not just a U.S. problem. It's sort of a continental problem. It's a global problem um, and one that's often uh, utilized and mobilized, weaponized in a way to intimidate and insult um, Afro-descended peoples, including those who are in office, um, and sort of what that means on a, how, how would that make sort of, for example, a, a Chavez supporter, someone who supports the Bolivarian revolution feel if the opposition is employing blackface, for example, to insult them. Um, so those things are kind of connected, whether you all uh, may know that or not. The other thing, too, that is an interesting connection is this idea that you brought up about how some people kind of assume that if they're listening to black music or if they're engaging in some sort of, um, I don't know, like clapping a certain way, which is what people were saying about Nancy Pelosi somehow being like a black woman. I saw several uh, tweets like this. I mean, this is something Shade. that I mean, her weird like a fucking circus seal clap was, like, was, uh, it was her version of throwing shade, which we know is not true. Right. right. She came out and said that the clap was incredibly it was over the top performance because she wanted him to see it but she was clapping for his sort of anti-socialist like you know vague right. bipartisanship message like but earnestly since it was a right. sincere clap right. just weird and the <laughs> other thing too is that just the simple fact that like first of all like what does it mean to clap like a black woman like I've seen I've literally seen that and also like anyone who's saying that a type of clap is throwing shade doesn't understand what the phrase throwing shade means because throwing shade is a it's a verbal or written act Anyway, has to do with language and not necessarily with physical actions. But that aside, um, I don't want to teach people more about our slang. Just let them figure it out. Um, but I think that it's it's just sort of interesting. I say all this because what you see in Brazil, especially, but throughout Latin America, there's often this idea of a sort of approximated blackness. So this idea that like if you're a white person, but you have black friends or you have a black maid or you grew up around black people, then that or you grew up in like a predominantly black region, that you're somehow also a black person or like sort of an honorary black person. And we've seen that so much with regard to elections lately, including elections in Virginia. So like Tim Kaine, who was uh, Hillary Clinton's former VP pick, 
has often talked about how he went to a black church and Northam himself went to a predominantly black school. But as we can see in terms of their actions, including Kane, who like met with Southern Command when he was in Honduras and has engaged in all sorts of things that are technically detrimental to the region where he long studied and like lived. It just sort of shows us that this approximated otherness, this non-whiteness that people seem to think that they can absorb is often not consistent with their actions. You know, like you can absorb all you want, but the reality is you aren't a person of color and that's okay. And just, you can be an ally without necessarily trying to paint yourself as one of us. And I think it's very strange to see. (laughs) Right. And it's strange to see people of color in taking on this language and applying it to white people too. It's disturbing actually, in my opinion. Well, I I mean, I thought I want to clarify. Are you saying that Nancy Pelosi isn't like Suge Knight? No, (laughs) she's absolutely not. Like Suge Knight, so. I, I fucking wish she had hit Trump with her fucking car. That would, be, that would have been great. If, I, I'll go out, I'll go out on the limb. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like to weaponize my race in favor of white people. But like, had Nancy Pelosi like, uh, you know, draped Mike Pence over the balcony like fucking Suge Knight did the Vanilla Ice, I would say she she wouldn't be allowed to say the N word. But like, she, she, I would say she could. I don't know. Uh, she could at least have a feature in a Kendrick Lamar song. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 like she could. I think that's, I think that's a fair compromise. But no, I agree with you, right? So as I was saying earlier, I think that there is this sort of unacknowledged, um, this unacknowledged phenomenon of of white people benefiting off of blackness due to their able to like sort of weaponize you know african-american vernacular english or slang and using it using it to either you know index coolness like you know obviously black black americans are like the epitome of cool i would say worldwide (laughs) largely because of hip-hop culture and the sort of the various tentacles of that have come out and you know also just like using it in case of the i would say the you know liberal democrats centrist democrats democrat establishment to at least kind of reference or gesture to some kind of anti-establishment anti-status quo pro you know i guess you could say like even a pro marginalized people message like well like well if i use the slang if i use their slang if i use their language if you know i sort of like pretend like i'm part of that community of practice i can sort of index that maybe me as a politician my political sort of actions uh are in support of those communities, which they aren't, right? At the same time, you know, the other side of this coin is that like you have people like whoever, I don't like to pick on, I don't like to pick on individual like column writers who aren't like elite six figure writers because, you know, everyone has to have their grift. You know, if you're writing for the root, I know what you, I know what you mean. Know. You know, it, it's hard out there. It's hard, when you're black, it's hard to get a job in media mm-hmm. without, sort of, without sort of weaponizing your identity in favor of the status quo. But that's really what it is. It's uniquely distasteful in this case because it's so like hyperbolic and also because the writer ruined Nuck if you buy for me mm-hmm. but like but like it, there, there is a sort of underacknowledged phenomenon of like people of color and i would say women and I, you know lgbtq people you know sort of using the their identities to cape for the status quo and make and, and making it harder for essentially making it more bulletproof against i would say leftism you know leftism broadly speaking uh especially you know because by making it sort of the i guess you'd call it the establishment seem intersectional, multicultural, whatever language you want to use there, because like, and therefore presenting all opposition as being, you know, opposing to uh, multiculturalism and a sort of vague, a sort of vague symbolic sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let, let's but let's let's talk, let's talk a little bit. No, I mean no, let's talk a little bit more about the you know about the global south. We can talk about Brit, uh, Brazil because I know I think Bolsonaro has recently come out as having pneumonia. So you know you know fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> right. not, I'm not going to tell you what they're crossed for, but they're definitely crossed. Um, so like, let's we can talk broadly about like what's going on in Venezuela, how it relates to Brazil. Um, so I guess you know, you know a little bit of background, not a little bit of background, but a little bit more like of the the midterm picture uh what what three weeks ago now i know richard you do it because this is this is sort of your baby tell us what was going on in brazil like not right not right now right now because it's probably like what five o'clock p.m how would you know but um <laughs> wait, like wh- why are we having this conversation specifically right now uh well uh i guess uh to kind of cross the pass between venezuela and brazil there was wendy did great uh, keeping up and keep helping me keep posted with the election of Bolsonaro, if that's what we're going to call it, uh, paralleled with uh, with what I'd done in research regarding the elect- most recent election of Maduro. 
and uh, essentially the where there were similarities and where there was differences in in Venezuela. Some of the things that I've seen in some reporting, but I haven't seen in a lot of the reporting. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to let pe- make sure people were aware is that leading up to the elections, there were multi-party talks uh, headed up by uh, in part by the former P- uh, prime minister of Spain. And uh, they were trying to make sure that the election process was going to work so the Venezuela situation didn't fall apart. And essentially, despite protests from people like the prime minister of Spain uh, and uh, other parties, uh, Maduro said similar things, but uh, uh, Guaido, or I'm I'm butchering his name, I don't care. Anyway, uh, (laughs) like just because of who he is. Anyway, uh, he walked away from... Uh, negotiations basically in the speculation at the time was on the encouragement and or advisement or direct order from the United States uh, and to essentially precipitate the situation that we're that people have probably seen various levels of reporting there's a really good uh, 10 minute summary by uh, Jeremy Scahill is one of the like most concise but most also uh, like uh, thorough It doesn't cover everything. It still misses some things, like some of the things I just pointed out there. Uh, But uh, if for those who want or hear something in this conversation, like, wow, I really need to know more about what's going on there, that will do a good job of catching you up on a lot of the the different things that we might not cover today. So so I'm a little bit confused. Maybe one of you can, uh, you know, not a little bit confused. I'm I'm sort of playing confused for the audience, but also I am kind of a little bit confused because it's not something that I kept up with as it was happening. So I did a lot of conflicting narratives out right now. I would say Boots Boots Riley is doing a lot of good work on on this front on Twitter. Right. But, um, uh, so I'm confused about the legitimacy, not legitimacy, but like the what happened in the most recent election of Maduro in terms of. Um, like I guess legitimacy is the right word because what I recall from when it was happening was essentially that the you know like that the uh, the opposition abstained largely from voting, right? The opposition mm-hmm. abstained largely from voting, and I recall in previous elections the the UN or whatever sent down voting integrity uh sent down voting integrity officers, which they should probably send to fucking America, but that sent down voting integrity officers. To make to make sure that obviously that the the votes were legitimate and there hasn't really been a problem on that front historically, but this time there were no voting integrity officers despite there I mean not at least not from the UN as I recall and so now like this particular coup that's happening right now is kind of on the grounds of at least being pitched on the grounds that Maduro is not the like, it was not legally elected. Yeah, so there's a lot that you just said that I need to like go back and take apart a little bit to help explain. Yeah, um, so first of all, I just want to start kind of from the beginning, which is the most recent, and then go backwards, if that makes sense. So I'm going to start from the beginning of the most, like the last bit. It's going in opposite directions. But anyway, um, so when all of this was happening, this was at the end of January when we started getting notice that, okay, uh, Trump and Pence have accepted that Juan Guaido, which is the name of the man who's declared himself interim president of uh, Venezuela, when they said, we accept him and we recognize him as the legitimate and only legitimate leader of Venezuela. Now, this is while, of course, and uh, Maduro had just taken office. He'd just been inaugurated, like literally about a week before all of this started happening, or a few weeks before, excuse me. Um, and it's funny because there was a bit of drama with relation to Brazil about this as well, which I will get into later. Um, but one of the things that while I was watching all this happen, I kept saying, okay, who is endorsing this person? And it was important to kind of keep in mind who were the first few people to come out and say they accept Juan Guaido as the legitimate president uh, of Venezuela, and also what were the grounds upon which they had said that he was legitimate. So first of all, you see the United States, you see countries like Brazil, which is run by a far right-wing fascist, you see countries like Colombia, which is run by the right wing, you see countries like uh, Uruguay, for example, Mexico, and other places saying, no, we don't accept Guaido as the president, we accept Maduro as the legitimate president. We're willing to go into talks. Um, This is one of the things that AMLO 
the current president of, of Mexico um, had just had suggested, as well as some members of the EU who've recently formed along with these other states in quote unquote, um, you know, developing nations, they've come together to kind of form a coalition to talk and have negotiations about what's going on as opposed to just kind of saying, okay, Maduro, get out. We have to start from scratch with this other guy. Meanwhile, Canada was another one that came out um, in support of Guaido. And the reason many believe that that was was because of access to oil. So for those of you who may not know, Venezuela is one is the largest, has the largest oil reserves in the world, um, even more than what we've seen in the Middle East. And so it's important for us to keep this in mind without, like, throughout our entire discussion of what's going on. So then backing up a little bit more, if you go slightly before this, when you see the inauguration in early January of Maduro, who has been elected now for his six, this is, they have six year terms in Venezuela, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and one of the people who went to go support him at the inauguration was a woman by the name of Glacey Hoffman, who is the president of the Workers' Party in Brazil. So for those of you who've been kind of keeping up with what's going on in Brazil. Um, the Workers' Party, PT, is the party that was um, taken out of office basically with a coup that was orchestrated by the U.S. and by local Brazilian elites um, in 2016. This is also the party that, so this is the party that Dilma was a part of when she was ousted in the coup. This is a part, this is the party that Lula is a part of. And Lula, as many of you may know, is still in prison um, on the basis of sort of trumped up claims that don't have very much legitimacy. Um, but long story short on this, basically Basically, many, many people came out denouncing Glazy Hoffman for having gone to Venezuela to say, what are you doing? You're disgracing the party, all this stuff. There's a lot of anti-communist sentiment already in Brazil. And most of that anti-communist sentiment has been articulated by using Venezuela as an example to demonize, much like you see in the U.S., but way more intensely there. And it's been going on for years. It's not something that's new. It's something that even predates Maduro. So for a long time, when I was living there, you would hear people like insult other people by calling them Bolivarian. Um, or by calling them Venezuelans. And the, in, the idea was that they, it was basically shorthand for communists and the type of communists that they don't accept and they don't um, see as legitimate. So anyway, um, and this is including people who were on the nominal left who were calling her out, um, but who have some ties with the U.S. It's sort of a long story. But basically, if you started to kind of follow who was getting upset at Glazy Hoffman in Brazil for having gone to Venezuela, it was very easy to see like what was going to pan out later on in the month. The other thing that was important to keep in mind, too, at least from my perspective as someone who follows Brazil, is the simple fact that when Jair Bolsonaro was running for president, he basically came out and said, we should have, a, I should, we should overthrow Venezuela. Um, we should send troops to Venezuela. And a lot of people were getting scared because they were saying, at least on the left, they were saying, well, first of all, the Brazilian military is fairly weak. But second of all, like, who's going to send their kids to go die in a war against Venezuela when Venezuela is not doing anything to us? The other thing, too, is that of the other issue that's going on in Brazil is that they have they're ha they're receiving a lot of Venezuelan migrants. For those of you who may, I mean, I'm sure many of you have seen, there has been an economic crisis going on in Venezuela for a while, um, and. While there are some reports of things being okay in the city, obviously in certain rural environments, um, times are a bit dire. And that's particularly because of sanctions, which have only worsened the situation in terms of food access as well as access to medicine. Um, and so... <laughs> Basically, you have all these migrants coming into Brazil. And at the time uh, when he was running for president, Jair Bolsonaro was like, oh, we should erect uh, internment camps, basically, like what we see in with ICE in the United States. So he wanted to follow the U.S. model. So, again, this is all happening sort of in, you know, August, September, October, which is when the election was. And then after his election, he's still saying stuff about we've got to take down Maduro. We've got to get rid of this uh, dictator, blah, 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 blah. And he was basically parroting what we've seen the U.S. saying since at least March. It's not like this is new. This is what's frustrating to me because I think sometimes when we're not U.S. Americans are not paying attention to what's going on in the rest of the world, they miss a lot in the process. So all of this stuff, if you go back, you can look, you can find articles from early 2018 um, about what the U.S. was saying to Venezuela and to Latin American countries who were supporting Venezuela. They were threatening them, basically. They said, if you trade goods with Venezuela, Venezuela we will 
um, sanction you as well. We will limit your access to certain goods that we send from the United States. They were threatening even countries from the EU for having business with Venezuela. And for those of you who, could, who are interested in this, um, Venezuela had been storing a lot of its gold deposits in England. And right now, the Bank of England has, has refused to release them precisely because in many cases of threats that are coming from the United States, in part, not entirely, but it has to do with that. Um, so anyway, then backing up a little bit more, the elections in uh, Venezuela took place in May. They were set to take place on May 20th. Um, What happened with that was that there were several parties who were running. So a lot of times when we talk about the quote-unquote opposition in Venezuela, it's automatically a problem because there's more than one opposition. It's not just one party. There are multiple parties that form up the quote-unquote opposition, um, and there are several different factions of it, some of which are more to the right, some of which are more to the left. In the case of Guaido, he represents the more far-right faction. What ended up happening prior to the election is that basically the U.S. um, sent down Envoys, um, Mike Pompeo was going down. You know, other members of the the administration of the cabinet were going down, and basically saying, "Look, if you guys, you know, you shouldn't run, don't run. We're going to take care of it." Basically, they were signaling already at that time that there was going to be a coup, and this is also when you started to see other right wing Latin American states sort of hinting at they would support the U.S. if they engaged in some sort of intervention. So that sort of was a signal to the far right or the the more right leaning aggressive versions of the opposition to say, okay, you know what, we don't have to be in this election anyway, it doesn't matter, let's just wait it out. The other thing that was happening too that's that I've seen reports of um, in Newsweek even, which is like, you know, middle of the road publication, but one of the things that they were talking about was the fact that the presidential candidate who was going to run for one of the opposition parties, he had gotten pretty much, he'd gotten large support. He's neoliberal, uh, but he'd gotten considerable support. His last name is Falcon. Um, He had actually been threatened with sanctions by the U.S. government if he were to run. So basically they were advised, if not threatened, um, to withdraw from the elections and thus sort of wait out to see if the U.S. backed by proxies in the region would then go along with an intervention, which is what we are seeing take place more or less now. The other thing that's important to keep in mind is like the other day, Bolton was walking around with a notebook saying that they were going to send 5,000 American troops uh, to Venezuela to fight this war, <laughs> but this is kind of non-existent war. But the issue is, again, many of us don't think that that's literal, but the point is to, again, sort of threaten if you guys decide, if people in Venezuela who are anti-intervention, of which there are many, including people in the opposition who have been silenced in large part by the mainstream media who are only focusing on Guaido, um, this is very intentional. But a lot of these people are saying, look, we don't want intervention. We have issues with Maduro. They go back a long time. We have issues with Chavistas. We have issues with the whole process. But we don't want you guys to invade our country. We know what happens when the U.S. invades. And those people are all getting silenced, basically. No one's talking to them in the mainstream media. And then what you see on on, on social media is that you have tons of trolls in your mentions, almost all of whom are white, middle and upper class, English, fluent in English, living abroad, not even living in Venezuela, telling us that we don't know what we're talking about about read the Venezuelan constitution. But then when you go and read the Venezuelan constitution, which like, oh yeah, some of us who speak Spanish or know how to use Google Translate can do, it shows that there are no reasons for Guaido to take on the the, charge that he has. He basically has no legitimacy under the Venezuelan constitution, but this is a U.S.-backed attempt at a coup. And so I just think that those those points are, while I went really long explaining them, it's because it is complicated and there are a lot of contours to this that we need to understand before we just make sort of a flat pronouncement that I don't support it or I support it. We have to understand why we're against this intervention too. And it's because it's not legitimate under any any circumstances. Well, I think what's important is that it probably in that, uh, I think it was great, by the way, but uh, in there, people probably heard something or learned something that they hadn't heard before and realized that's kind of important information and that the media isn't uh, largely is ignoring it or burying it someplace where it's not really getting shared or anything like that. And so mm-hmm. with that in mind, uh, that should at least if you if you're on the fence or don't know what's going on in Venezuela, it should probe you to and, and urge you to look at more into it and get more informed. And uh, there's lots of places you can do that. Go ahead, Brandon. You know, you know, I agree actually, uh, Richard. Um, insofar as like, I think that you know we have in the media. You know, in, in American media today, uh, we have uh, an interesting spectrum. Uh, it spans kind of from the center center left with a few with a little bit of influx 
in terms of economic policy into this, you know, from the far left, like, you know, it's like $15, not from the far left, but from like the further left than Democrat, you know, $15 minimum wage. We, we need a green new deal. The environment's dying, uh, you know, blah, 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 those crazy, you know, that stuff. But I think when it comes to the idea of foreign policy, right, there tends to be only one, largely only one position, mm-hmm. uh, you know, neoconservatism you know neo-imperialism i guess it's normal imperialism i don't know how neo it is uh that seems to be the standard take amongst the entirety of the media except for a few outliers and i think that you know i agree with you that it's important to understand the background of um, what's going on in the global south broadly speaking uh not only the global south but just you know i think a lot of times you, you have america America and Americans, even when they, you know, ostensibly should know better based on their politics, you would think they would know better based on their political leadings. Like they still view America as this sort of weird ideological or or material island where like you could have neo-fascism rising in Europe and neo-fascism rising in the global south and neo-fascism rising in Asia but then neo-fascism will start rising in America because who could have seen this coming it's like well (laughs) um, everyone I guess if you were really kind of paying attention you would have seen it coming and so I I agree it's important to know the the details especially so that when people confront you with like oh actually the constitution of Venezuela says it's illegitimate you go like that's fucking stupid it doesn't say that at all um but at the same time i i kind of disagree where like you have to know the you know as an american you have to know not i want to say the minutiae but like the, the not even an entire history really but like you have to know a lot of the details to be opposed to the intervention no right? no, that, no. That, that, i agree okay. with you i agree mm-hmm. with you I, I don't yeah no, sorry if i no, could, no, yeah, go ahead oh, no, I, well i mean i'm glad we all agree but i was gonna say i guess i'll plainly say it. i think because i can't think i think of that position like okay it's one i've seen so far I was like well you know how are you commenting on whether we should support a coup if you're not like an expert in like either like the recent past in Venezuela or like you know even like the past of you know I would say like the social revolution in Venezuela going back to Hugo you know all, all that stuff how can you say we shouldn't get involved there it's like well because a because like I know like I passed high school history it's like I passed like you know I, I have access to like you know Wikipedia and the CIA's like Wikipedia page so I kind of yeah. know like what's happened with that you know more or like, less 30th and, verse same as the first right well, yeah, <laughs> exactly and like so and you know and you know even you know, even more ideologically speaking it's like the that question presumes that we have a right to intervene in countries just broadly speaking mm-hmm. right and i think that i think that's sort of the underlying kind of issue that i've seen like at least pop up in the question about venezuela or just intervention generally even in syria going back all the way to syria when people were still really interested in that where it was like okay well what if he is doing this what does that mean america should do it's like well maybe nothing right i think maybe that that question presumes that american foreign policy should be kinetic and we have the right to intervene and that we shouldn't use even think we shouldn't use soft power we should always think military first and that that what that says to me that i think it's striking and kind of gets buried a lot when people kind of like when people explain their own ideology to you is just how like hegemonic that neoconservative thought actually is in america where like that's viewed as kind of a baseline position where, mm-hmm. like if something is bad if something bad is happening overseas well maybe like but not even maybe we should intervene right i mean even you see with some of the responses to venezuela like obviously you see bernie sanders response was like well but maduro is a bad is a bad guy it's like whoa 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 there's no need for that mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you, you, you you can start from the position of like we shouldn't intervene. Like like that can be your starting position for anything, at least not right. directly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with I agree a hundred percent with that. And I it's funny because I have written in my notes here when I got on the call for you guys. It was like talk about how you don't need to know any of this to support Venezuela, right? <laughs> and I think it's true in the sense that I mean I think for me my purpose is like because I study this stuff. It is important to know what's going on, I think, solely to be able to mount a defense. That is my point. So, like, if you if someone asks you, why are you against intervention in Venezuela? Obviously, there's the baseline reason, which is like because it's about national sovereignty. Right. They voted for their president. These people have the right to choose what they want to go on with their country. Blah, 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 blah. blah. It's not our position to intervene and to tell them what to do. And it's like completely absurd because it's it's literally like. France is breaking down right now and Macron is like going on TV giving Venezuela, like giving Maduro ultimatums from across the ocean. Like it's absurd and it's totally imperialism, you know, 
in our yeah. in our era. And I think I mean, it's which country would you have, have invade the United States to remove Trump because Congress won't do it or can't right. do it? Exactly. <laughs> and it's absurd on its face. But I also think that knowing the information is is a good response when you have people coming at you being like, you don't know anything. You need to go do your research, blah, 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 blah. Because even if we have a baseline obvious response of like non-interventionism and that's that's where where i am at i think also you have to contend with the fact that like there are going to be people in real life online wherever who are saying you don't know anything because they're from xyz country and they know better than you but the reality is like i'm from america and so is trump and trump and i have totally different political ideologies and i know a lot more about american history than trump does just because they're both from the same country doesn't mean we know what's right for the country or what we we know what's right for citizens, you know what I mean? And what's best, mm-hmm. that we care about what's best for citizens. And so I think it's important that we at least be armed with information. That's the only, that's one thing that we can do as as people in another country who do care about what happens in other in other places. We need to at least have baseline knowledge of what's going on. I think it and, is important in that sense. And having gone a couple rounds uh, with uh, some liberals on the topic, I can assure you that if you ju- it doesn't take much to, to poke holes in the narrative no. that they've been <laughs> receiving. So they'll have to spend they'll have to do a lot more work to try and keep up with a, a baseline amount of information that you're working with because their narrative doesn't even incorporate it, let alone have a counter narrative for it. No, no, I agree, right? So I definitely agree with that. I, I you know, I, I think it's, I think a lot of things about this entire conversation about Venezuela is striking. I mean, I mentioned the idea that you know, it re- we really should be grappling with the idea that a lot of these, a lot of these sort of ideological foibles um, that we attribute to specific parts of the the spectrum, you know, in terms of like you know, conservatives do this and liberals do this, like are actually just hegemonic, mm-hmm. right? You know, like, like like racism. It's like it's not a, it's not a, it's not in sort of intrinsic part of being conservative. It's an intrinsic part of being american except you know etc so is neoliberalism so is neoconservatism and like unless you can acknowledge that like you're indoctrinated with like a baseline level of that and whether you're explicitly you know promoting it is one thing but like whether you believe the inherent logic of it like if you, you believe the inherent logic that the world the, really, no, the neoconservative logic of it, the world is safer when america is doing stuff abroad like you know america like america mm-hmm. is a, a, a benevolent actor abroad who sometimes messes the bumbling you know the bumbling america trope mm-hmm. you know because it's like it's <laughs> Like the bum, it's like there's like no, I mean like it's like there's the bumbling male trope. There's like the bumbling America trope. He's like Mr. Bean, like Mr. Bean, <laughs> Mr. Bean, except like genocide, right? <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> oh god. But no, I mean like that's like that's what America. That's what people want you to believe about America is true, mm-hmm. right? And like and if they can't get away with the the human rights grift, the secondary grift is like the national defense, like the national defense gr- grift, right? Like it's in America's, it's in the you know the best interest of America's national defense to like secure the oil fields of Venezuela. It's like what? Well, according, really according to Mike Pompeo, Hezbollah is, is active, and so that was that was so fucking hilarious. It's like I I just want to say it's like you would think that in what 15, 16, 17 years they would have come up with better lies about why we should go to war with countries, but like they're like they're still doing the classic Hezbollah. I, I said it on Twitter, and I'll say it again. They you know back in the day, like you know when 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 the year when the West wanted to invade the global South, you know quote unquote the West quote unquote the global South. It's like we had cool lies like there were cities made of gold and like fountains of youth and like you know fucking dragons and shit now it's just like oh no hezbollah's there so we just we gotta we got we gotta blow it up at least at least you know like engage my imagination it's like like i said you know I, shit maybe maduro knows who killed biggie no, like maybe, like maybe the ultimate goal of the Venezuelan socialists is to ban kissing your dog on the lips. Like you know, like you know, get, like get, get, get white people and black people involved in this in this grift. Like, like, speak, 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 speak to me, speak to me on, on my level. Like get, like get me involved in that shit. And I would just, I mean, I would just also add to like the flavor of this conversation. It's amazing that we can have like first of all, it's amazing that we can have a conversation about violating another country's sovereignty like in a hard way, like, you know, like, like like actually invading them and supporting a coup when like we're still embroiled in like a national conversation about how terrible it was for like Russia to violate the sanctity of our democracy uh-huh. with Bernie right? Bernie coloring books or whatever. <laughs> like, like, like Bernie, co- well, like Bernie coloring books and you know in anti in in Jesus anti masturbatory ads, right? And like I I, I hate that. I I hate that I have to sort of qualify this statement, but like whenever I, I bring this kind of thing up, people treat 
people treat that like like it's, like it's what aboutism mm-hmm. like oh like, oh well how dare you imply that like americans actions overseas might have a direct causal effect on the way other countries treat us it's like how dare you imply that or even how dare you imply that other countries are allowed their sovereignty and that we should respect their sovereignty even you know even as we lament our sovereignty being violated and like it's it's weird to see people again ostensibly on the left who i would still say like a sort of embody that neoconservative like logic at least partially like they to like be kind of like you have to twist their arm behind their back to get them to admit that oh yeah everything that we're accusing russia of doing from like the most ridiculous to like the most maybe plausible right which is like okay well maybe this is just how elections work in you know 2017 2019 mm-hmm. rather it's like maybe every country is like it's doing fishing schemes maybe every country is doing propaganda like maybe every country like i, I can believe that I, I, it's easy to believe right but even more broadly speaking it's like but we do that it's like we like we not have not only done that in the past we are currently doing it now and we will do worse in the future and like like that's the most hilarious but you have to twist people's arms to admit that like that's a thing that like it might be uh a relevant portion of this conversation about like the sanctity of countries Mm -hmm. yeah no i just want to plug uh part two it's going to be coming out of uh the of reading revolution pedagogy of the oppressed go ahead yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was just gonna, like a part two of it I'm like, you know, don't like don't don't give it don't give it free i just wanted to add really quickly too that i so this is where i say none of this is necessary right um i would say for example we don't have to talk we don't even have to talk about russia we don't even have to talk about anything that has quote unquote been done to the United States precisely because I mean it were this situation reminds me of um, the recent incident with the the boys from Covington High School who were wearing MAGA hats and intimidating the indigenous man and people were like well maybe it's not racist and we were like why don't you just like look with your own eyes right so we see things that are obvious we see for example police brutality we see for example blatant acts of racism. Uh, like the Liam Neeson thing recently when he was like, I'm just going to go out and kill a random black man. And yet we still have people kind of serving as apologists for these sorts of things and trying to talk us out of our own basic reason. And I think in the case of what's happening in Venezuela, it's a very clear example of this because you say to yourself, okay, a man violated (laughs) the constitution of the country, auto declared himself interim president. You can see the video, it's him standing there by himself. Right, but we were told, oh no, 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 he didn't say that. I'm like, look, I mean, that's what he said. That's literally what he says, right? Like, yo hablo espanol, and I know what he said, and that's what he said, okay? Like, we're not imagining (laughs) things. And so it's frustrating to have, have us look at the situation, and we see, laid out very plainly as I do say in the, the part two of it the second second part of the episode for Left POC I say you know we have articles that were written in very mainstream press outlets such as the Washington Post the New York Times Newsweek that are laying out the situation plainly and saying the U.S. is intervening the U.S. is engaging in an act of intervention in Venezuela they're using words like this they're laying out the steps and so why are we having to to fight these people who like are telling us no it's not a coup no it's not u.s intervention it's a humanitarian effort meanwhile like how many countries are suffering from humanitarian issues right around venezuela like in brazil you have people being murdered because they're gay and trans people being murdered because they're rights activists they're you know fighting deforestation because they're black because they're indigenous fill in the blank and like I mean, it's just absurd that we're being told to look at this obvious thing that says ABC and it actually they're telling us it says XYZ when that's not the case. I think one other thing I just wanted to point out is like it's really important for us to remember, too, that Guaido, I've seen, for example, an excuse given that how could Guaido be representative of the right? He's the son of a taxi driver. And I'm like, (laughs) what does that have to do with anything? Like it's these, it's all. Um, information to sort of cover up, hide, and confuse, right? And I think that it's very important for us. This is why I say the facts do matter. We do have to have some working understanding because all of this information is being thrown at us to distract us from understanding what is pretty obvious, you know? Um, and, and like... For example, he was tweeting in support of Bolsonaro himself, saying that he's a great champion of human rights. Like, what? You know what I mean? So it just it just makes you really you have to see the obvious and say to yourself, does this look right to you? And it doesn't look right. <laughs> like no, if you like, really get rid of the noise, it doesn't look right. 
uh, I just wanted to add, like, on a broadcast that, like, you, you can still listen to, and if you speak uh, Espanol, then you can, uh, you know, understand it, or you can read the translations. But he says he wants, to, he's going to basically purge the country of opposition. Yeah. Like, either in prison or send them out of the country. Like, like they, they're telling them that they need to leave, basically, for their own safety. Like, these are things he's saying in public as part of his campaign. <laughs> like, Wait, are you talking about Guaido or Bolsonaro? Uh, 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 Bolsonaro, sorry. Okay, yeah, Bolsonaro. Yeah, Bolsonaro. I mean, I have, I have. If you go to my timeline alone, I have translations from the Portuguese to English of everything he said, pretty much on the campaign trail. And yes, he did. He literally threatened the life and safety of leftists. He's threatened LGBTQ. I mean, like, literally. We. I mean, I don't even want to go over it. Y'all know my timeline. It's like half of it's in, about Brazil. And the reality is that no, he's he is in complete violation of anything close resembling human rights much less humanity and so for anyone to defend him that should tell like what Trump is, endorsed, what is it, like, if it congratulated him like and endorsed him if yeah. it like quacks like a duck and walks like a duck it's a freaking duck like this is what we're looking at you know yeah, I was just saying that Trump actually endorsed him or like you know uh, congratulated him and you know looked forward to working with him and all that stuff on Twitter and uh, that uh, go ahead Brandon Oh, no, I was going to add, add, I agree with you. I think the facts are important for a lot of reasons. I just also think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of these facts, like, like you mentioned with the 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 uh, the, the, the soy-faced Covington boys, um, uh, like the facts are always going to be interpreted through this lens of neoconservatism. It's always going to be interpreted through this lens of racism. Like, you know, I think that a lot of times when we talk about racism online, it becomes like this, like this, this back and forth argument about bullshit that I don't really give a shit about. But like a very easy kind of, you know, way to understand racism, at least in these contexts, or even neoconservatism or imperialism or like, I don't know what you want to call it in this circumstance. It's like, you know, giving someone the benefit of the doubt beyond the point in which it's, you know, A, beyond the point in which you would give somebody of color or you would give uh, someone with less power the benefit of the doubt. And then beyond the point in which it's even reasonable, mm-hmm. like beyond the point in which it's reasonable to give anyone the benefit of the doubt. To that, right? to that point, I just want to quickly add that like a lot of these people, uh, especially in the media, lived through Iraq. They watched the lies. They watched the buildup. They watched people get shamed for not backing. And like Saddam's a terrible person. Are you saying you support support Saddam? Dom, you know, it's like he he gasses and like and list off all the things that the U.S. alleged that he did or that he actually did or whatever, and then be like, well, what do you support all that? Is that why you're against the invasion? And it's coming from the entire political spectrum, uh, from MSNBC through it all the way to I've seen even some uh, self-proclaimed socialists take positions similar to that. Well, I mean, well, I will just say no one was punished for that, though. Like exactly. no one, like no one who was punished for the cheerleading up to the Iraq War, uh, lost their jobs for that. I think, I think for the one who wrote the like the aluminum tubes article in the New York Times, like she, that one we chick lost her job. I can't remember her name right. Now. Yeah, man, TIP in this motherfucker with me, nigga. To the max with it, Rex. I count six shots. Gussin' out the bando A nigga jury real metal like a can no I went from rad to riches to a feature with tip I went from smart car to a bitch with some smart lips And that if and then made my hip limp I'm going fishing with these little bitty strip dips And my bankroll kind of big dip Woo. She gon' bring it on a big ship uh, Quite trail, no quick trip I got jugs in the alley, no tip yeah. She ain't wanna have a good day Smoke way more weed than the guy in LA that, that, I hold them birds to next May Nigga, I ain't getting no. Yeah, ain't about the money. Ain't no use to you ringing my line. Stop wasting my time. Yeah, ain't about the money. Nah, I can't even hear what you say. I ain't finna do shit. Yeah, ain't about the money. Bitch, you can miss me with it. Bitch, nigga, miss me with it. Turn it. Hey. I pack in the living, I pack in the living. I boom. Turn. I'm riding the gator, my shoes are just set. Show up. I'm sliding like the reverend, I shoot at the reverend. Bye. Stand at the cone store with a pocket full of dough I be damned if a nigga
nigga wife from hood, ho Learned that from UGK, back in pocket full of stone Put your money down, I can book a hard foe You playing with it, I'ma send them through your car, though My wife flooded, shit sick, got Pavo I'm doing it for black and yellow free hard, though The head honcho, nigga, no time to, nigga I quit to put some bricks in a Bronco, nigga Nigga talking shit while I don't respond to old nigga No murder, no dough, no combo, Don't be blowing me up, nigga, I ain't getting up If it ain't about the money Ain't no use to you ringing my line, stop wasting my time If it ain't about the money Nah, I can even hear what you say, I ain't finna do shit If it ain't about the money Bitch, you can miss me with it Bitch, nigga, miss me with it Turn it up Turn I pack an 11, I pack an 11 I Boom Turn I'm riding the gator, my shoes are deception Turn up, what they say, what they say I'm slant like the reverend, I shoot at the reverend Hey Pants out the grocery store, they stuff with ladies Hey, bro, hey She try make the extras, I tell on these bitches Hey When it's about time to pay, I'ma bail on these bitches Hey What you think we in the neighborhood for? Standing in the trash, like good blow Made baby, you slain that crack Ride stole the car while he bang that If you ever took a law, better bring that back Catch it with your bitch and he gon' blow your brain back there Ay, know you better be On your bed behave, you wanna dress me Because by gun, we don't let them be Nigga, dear, respect me, I'ma catch a felony For real, if you listen, I can get you paid But not interested in the shit you say If it ain't about the money, nigga Don't be blowing me up, nigga, I ain't getting up If it ain't about the money Ain't no use to you ringing my line, stop wasting my time If it ain't about the money Nah, I can even hear what you say, I ain't finna do shit If it ain't about the money Bitch, you can miss me with it Bitch, nigga, miss me with it Turn it up, turn I pack an 11, I pack an 11 I boom, turn I'm riding the gator, my shoes are deception Turn up, what the fuck, what they say, yeah I'm slant like the reverend, I shoot at the reverend A nigga, boom, boom The grocery store, they stuff with ladies Hey, bro, hey She try make the extras, I tell on these bitches Hey When it's about time to pay, I'ma bail on these bitches Ay, 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 what you think we in the neighborhood for? Standing at the corner store with a pocket full of dough I be damned if a nigga wipe a hood, ho Learned that from UGK, back in pocket full of stone, nigga